Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. Excited today because I have on Jared Cooney Horvath. Jared is a neuroscientist, Harvard trained, from Australia. And what this is, is just a fantastic conversation and interview. One, because I'm not saying, I'm not throwing shade at neuroscientists, but sometimes uh, they're not as entertaining as Jared is. And uh, he talks about learning and, and brain science in a way that I really thoroughly enjoyed myself. Uh, we had really a great conversation, some pop culture references. And uh, yeah, this is one of those episodes that you can learn a lot without knowing the high, high, high jargon. We talk about some of his books. We talk about his research. This is one that I know that you're thoroughly going to enjoy. Also in the show notes is, a, is links to like his TED Talk, his books, everything else. Uh, but most importantly, this guy is just an asset uh, to education um, and just an incredibly good interview and a joy to listen to. So uh, if this episode brings you some uh, joy, please make sure you pass it along to others. Um, but uh, And for that matter, it, the way we grow and the reason why we find people like Jared is that uh, Jared also came by recommendation. I have got the best audience and I sincerely appreciate you that, uh, you know, a lot of times people will reach out and say, Hey, you need to have this guy or this girl on your show. Introductions are made. And once we vet and see that their people is awesome, like Jared, we have them on the show. So if you ever have an, an idea for a guest, let us know. You can email me dwetrick at start it up foundation.org. All right. Welcome back. I am now joined with Jared Cooney Horvath. He is a cognitive neuroscientist with expertise in human learning, memory, and brain stimulation. He earned his master's degree at Harvard and his doctorate in the University of Melbourne. We'll get into why you don't have an Australian accent here in a second. Um, <laughs> but he's a guy, as he we're talking off air, he's been in education for a long time and has this cognitive you know, science and, and all these really fun, cool titles. But really what he is, he's an educator at heart. So, Jared, how you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you for for having me on and let me let me talk with you today. Yeah. So, a uh, thing again. I love doing this podcast because you get emails and you're like, "Hey, this guy should be on your show," and the recommendation was there, and so I'm glad you could join up. Mind you, um, I'm staying up late to do this because you're in Melbourne. Tell everybody uh, because people are like, no, you don't sound Australian born in Pittsburgh. I'm an American at heart, but then uh, I met a Sheila, an Aussie Sheila, I think is the official terminology we use here. So um, yep, moved down to Melbourne about 10 years ago. But this is great. So I've been I've been doing some podcasts recently. And I've had to get up at 3am just because the time difference is so crappy. But here we are, you stayed up till 10 at night, so I mean, that I could have a nice afternoon, Saturday yeah. afternoon podcast. I've, this is the first time I feel awake actually talking to somebody <laughs> in the US in weeks. This is great. This is, and I, feel, I feel on my game now. Well, and my kids will be impressed that I'll stay up till 11 tonight. So there it is. You'll, pay, you'll fall asleep halfway through. It'll be okay. <laughs> you better, yeah, bring your A game. Otherwise, I might. So, hey, you've got a book out. And I enjoy the title. I'm even may give you a hard time about it here in a second, but stop talking, <laughs> start influencing 12 insights for brain science to make your message stick. Now, the title, stop talking, start influencing. Let's, let's get right into it. Now, in a day and time, because we just got into this discussion in my own classroom, is that yeah. there's some negative connotation between being an influencer and being a leader. 
and that's right in your wheelhouse. So talk me oh. out of, yeah. Okay. okay you want to go, go. I, I love it. Already. So the original, original name of the book was stop talking, start teaching. Um, and it was originally cause I'm, I'm a teacher originally I got my start in the classroom and teachers are pretty much all I work with teachers and students, but it was one of those perfect storms that once you get a publisher, Little did I know that publishers like to try crazy stuff and they're not happy if you have the word teaching in a book because that makes the, I guess, audience far too narrow. So we settled on influencing and kind of expanded the book out to include anyone who tries to teach at any level. So if you're a business trainer, if you're a principal, if you're a coach of a sports team. So it's still, it's not influence in terms of influencers. I don't even have social media. It's, it's, if you replace that with teaching, you know where I'm coming from. It's if you have an idea that you want to instill into somebody else and, and inspire them to embody it and use it, how do we go about doing that best? Yeah. All right. So let's, let's dive into a few of the, and we don't have to go over all 12, but like my, my what jumps top, out at you. Take and take a flip through and see which ones jump out at you. Well, like, so let, let's let's start here. Like, I, I'd say the one thing that that I've seen as a teacher, whether you're training teachers uh, as a coach or you're you know just working with your students, is that how do you make your message stick? So your your first overall theme here is how 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 do you make yourself memorable? How do you make sure your messaging is a has that wow factor? Well, I think I think rule number one, and this is what I kind of go into at the front end. So we, let's let's take it back, just so you you're you know where I'm coming from. So when I got into the neuroscience stuff, this was so what we'll call the science of learning. It was back because when I was teaching, I thought, well, cool. If I have a better sense of how people learn, I can make better decisions with my teaching. And so that's what I've kind of learned over the last 15 years of research and working in academia is knowing how people learn can't tell you how to teach. So if people are looking for answers, like give me a recipe on how to teach, it never works. This is why visible learning and Marzano and cultures of thinking, they're wonderful ideas, but as soon as you try and follow them like a recipe, they fail because they don't take into account context or who you are, or who your students are. So what I do is the science of learning can give you agency over your decisions. It can help you make better decisions, but I can't tell you what decisions to make. So in this book, what I've done, each chapter is a principle of learning. So if we know people learn in this way, how then can we use that to kind of better or differently interpret situations and make better decisions? So I've tried not to just do a full recipe book. I've tried to give you the why behind each recipe step so that you can say, ah, I don't have to take his word for it. Now I got it and I can adapt it and make it my own. So should we, do you want, you want me to dive into one just so you can get a sense of what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, go ahead. So here we go. Good, a good one. Good rule of thumb. So human beings cannot read while listening to somebody speak simultaneously. It just, it's neurologically impossible. So we go through 10 pages of the book where we actually explore why that is, why it's impossible to read. And in a nutshell, it's because you, that silent reading voice, whenever you're reading something and you're hearing yourself speak, Your brain is processing that in exactly the same way it would an out loud speaking voice. So as far as your brain is concerned, you don't have a silent reading voice. You're just talking out loud. And so if you're trying to read while someone's speaking, you get this clash, just like you can't hear two people 
yabbering at the same time. You can't read and listen simultaneously. It doesn't work. So once we have that principle, then we can go into some thought experiments and go, okay, so if you're using, say, PowerPoint during a lesson, what does that mean for how we design PowerPoints? If we're giving handouts, what does that mean? If I'm designing an online course, what does that mean? So there's no answers at the end of the day. But once you know that principle, that it's impossible for people to read and listen, and when you try and make them do it, they learn less than if you just do one or the other, you can start to make better decisions in your classroom, on your podcast, or, or online, whatever it is you're trying to do. I, I agree to some degree of irony. I was trying to read a couple of my show notes as you were. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. You jump back and forth and you lose everything. I, well, it's actually, it's funny you say that because that's why I don't have show notes anymore. I, it, it, my first two or three episodes, you can tell that I did a lot of preparation and I was all proud and I was listening for my guests to stop talking so I could go to my next question. And like, it was bad because you could tell like listening back to him, like, why didn't I ask a follow-up question when she said that? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Cause I already had my question number two prepared. So anyway, I was, I was, I had already locked and loaded it. So there you, <laughs> but there, there you go. Wonderful examples. So that's kind of what I've tried to do with this book. What are these learning principles? What might they mean for us? And then once you have that knowledge, you can apply it how you see best fit with your students, with your, your classroom, however you work. Well, yeah, I, I, ironically enough, that was, you know, as you were talking about that, one, um, I was thinking, well, you should, you know, the talking part should never be the reading part just because I hate, um, I hate the stand and deliver. I've got some former students that are like, and I'm not bashing college, but they've got a professor that like almost reads aloud the book. And they're like, and then with some commentary and they're like, look, just either leave me alone so I can read it or have a lecture. (laughs) Right. Right. Now they use, they've replaced the book. They think, well, I'm not reading out of a book, but really they just write it on slides. And I'm like, you might as well, the the slides are your book. Now you can't reading slides is the same thing as just reading a textbook. It's, it's one or the other. Leave me alone. If you're going to do that. Uh, I I like the idea of like stacking a, well, okay. So I think I heard this from, well, my favorite podcast um, is usually uh, Freakonomics. And there was a Freakonomics episode when it was a study. And I think it was a college professor that the lectures were basically, or no, it was, it was habit stacking is that they had audio books and treadmills and the retention rate of an audiobook and and while you're moving was outstanding and of course that was kind of the behaviors like people are like I don't want to get on the treadmill and walk for five miles but if I can listen to this killer book um they were finding that yeah the weight was going off and they 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 you know stacked the behavior of them enjoying a book but their retention was so high because they were moving you, you had a double a double whammy. You get ARC proteins from the movement, which helps your memory. And B, you're not trying to double up what you're trying to do. Most people, when they read, if you, I, it sounds bad, but if you ever watch your spouse or your partner read, very rarely does anyone ever sit down and actually read for an extended period of time. They'll get two pages in and then they'll check their phone. Then two more pages and they'll get up and get a drink. So there's something to be said about the exercise forcing you to subsist with one stream yeah. of data for an extended period of time, which still, oddly enough, that's why lectures still work 
when they're done right and people uh, have yeah. to sit there. Yes, if they're engaging and they're not mm. too long and you have some storytelling abilities. Oh, and, yeah. It, yeah. But it, what's a joke, we were doing this research too, is as soon as you move that same lecture, so have a killer lecture live, move that same lecture online and learning goes down through the floor. It doesn't matter that it's the same exact thing. It just put a camera, put it online. And it's because live, yep. you don't have choices to move. You engage. Whereas online, yeah, I'll just tweet. I'll just text real fast. Yeah, I'll distractibility. Look yeah. And it kills you. Well, I think also there's this, I agree with everything you just said, but also I don't, I don't know how to put my words to it, but live is just special. It and, is. And, well, the good news is we're finding the data for it now too. So you don't have to, ideally within the next couple months when it all gets published, you no longer have to say it's, right. it's magically special. We can confidently say there is a very strong difference right. between being with somebody and watching somebody. I'm hoping more and more that is going to be talked about because, well, case in point, um, I, I have a lot of hope in, in Gen Z. Not that I didn't have hope in millennials. There was just a different thing. But there was this awesome article that just came out that the mall might be making a comeback because Gen Z likes to be with each other. They want to be around people. Right. And so I, all this, like, because I am, you were just mentioned earlier about distractibility and yeah, being yeah. isolated and we have this toxic stew of being isolated and not with each other and we have all the we have 500 friends but we don't have one friend kind of yeah. thing and so i'm i'm hoping that there is this new let's get together even if it is at you know the mall or whatever um because i i, I do agree with you like those learning moments um if you're just doing it online isn't really there there's uh, something missing there's something in yes. well you miss the resonance you you can occasionally get resonance with somebody online yeah but maybe it, right well jared that's the thing that scared me like people were starting to talk about the you know the death of the school building and and you know we're all going to go online and i'm like that's bullshit oh hell no and, 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 and right because we need like we're still human beings and i'm hoping like this conversation we're having we're starting to acknowledge that this failed experiment of us totally being isolated and like I personally, it keeps me up at night that Uber Eats is a thing. Go out to eat. <laughs> no, I can't get even out walk down, down the street home. to McDonald's where I don't even have to dress up, mind you. At McDonald's, I can wear my night clothes and no one's going to get mad. But even that's a little too much. Come to my house. Drive it over to me, please. Yeah. Oh. I no, I see, what's weird? No, I think, you're, I think you're spot on. The people who made the argument that teachers would be replaced by computers and learning is going to go online. A, learning suffers online. We still, I don't care how many times people try and argue otherwise. <laughs> you go digital and try and do the same thing you do live, it, it's always worse. It always is worse. There's no evidence that it's ever going to get better. Digital only works when you do crazy things that you could only do digitally. So a good rule of thumb, if you can do it live, freaking do it live. Um, but the other thing is those people always define school and life as memorization of facts. Oh, Computers boy. will help you memorize facts better. Cool. Yeah. Maybe they will. But no offense, everything I learned in high school and college, very little of it is facts. Very much of it was how do I interact with people? An experience, yes. How much am I allowed to drink in a night? Right. How much what, – what kind of interactions do I have when we're all angry or happy or playing games? That's what you're learning. You're learning how to be alive, not state capitals per se. Right. 
No, I, I can't agree more. Because when, when when people are like, oh, you know, oh, we can always go to online school, and I'm like, the <laughs> point. Of, but but see, what I love about this conversation though is, is what is the point of the school building, and it mm-hmm. should be to collaborate. It should Boom. be to like do things to be experiential. Because if all you're doing is sit down, shut up, and memorize this, then the pundits are correct. Do it online. Yeah, and but then to take it even prov- further. Well, if the pundits, the next thing is they say it's to memorize facts to get a job, in which case I could say, look, you don't need a 12-year general education to memorize the facts enough to get a job. Yep. You need a two-year apprenticeship. Go freaking do that. Yeah. So not only is it not just about learning about facts, it's also not just about work. It's about freaking life. It's about building human beings who ask questions, feel uncomfortable, fight with other people, and come out feeling stronger because of it. Yeah. Well, I Dude, I fucking I oh I'm a swore there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, like like I think it's almost silly now to think about like saying things out loud at how to get a job. Okay, uh, we've gone over your resume. Things look pretty good. What can you do? I have a degree wonderful yes yes <laughs> what are your skills what can you do i have a degree i went to this school. <laughs> you're like mm-hmm. right and so i i those experiences those things that you actually did um that that is what is, excites me and i mean even if, if we take education out of, the, uh, out of the equation if if you went to a concert and then somebody recorded it and you watch it online like you to your point earlier it's not special because wow. the humidity in the air is not there. The smell is not there. Yeah. The, 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 just the, the anticipation of the band about ready to, to break out in their first chord isn't there. And so you take the, the resonance out and it's, yeah. We do this when I, it's, it's funny. We do this. So my original, I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was young. Um, so this goes way back in the day, but we were doing research way back then. Um, and we now know it through the brain. So when I say resonance, you know, so you, when you're teaching or you're presenting and the crowd is there and the students are there and everyone's there and you feel that, like at a concert, when you feel everyone is on the same page, when we measure everyone's brain waves, they look incredibly similar. So when I'm, and they look like the guy who's teaching or the band that's playing. In essence, the audience starts to think exactly like the presenter. And that's that feeling. So they're not just learning something, they're also learning like you and so take that back to film the way we used to measure it was in blink rate is if you get 200 people in a movie theater and start to show them a movie at the beginning they're all blinking totally randomly and chaotically but as the film progresses and they get into it their blinking starts to synchronize to the point where you can have one to two minutes stretches where 200 people are blinking at the same time without they're not talking they don't know it yep and that's how we knew Whoa. they were resonating with the film. They were blinking in time with the story. <laughs> and so that's and you can't and awesome. You get that with 200 people in a room, but now, like you said, go home and watch that DVD alone or watch that concert DVD alone, and you lose that synchrony. There's no one to sync with anymore. So it's just meh. You enjoy it, you watch it, you okay. go about your business. You put this PhD thing you got behind your name to to, to flex here for me a little bit what is that what is that it's, thing that everybody's thinking so you can think now you can, here's where things get fun so neuroscience has always been wildly reductionist where we think okay 
and, and granted, that's what science has to do. That's the definition of science. We have to reduce. There has to be mechanical terms. There can be no emergent properties, blah. We're now reaching the point where we think there can be emergent properties, whereby what I mean is when you're watching me and my element and you start to sync with me, there's two options. Either A, you're starting to mentally act like me. So you start to, without even knowing it, you subconsciously start to move your hands like me, start to move your body like me, start to intone and inflect like me. And while that's all going on subconsciously, that kicks your brain into the same mode mind's in, which is where we start to resonate. So that requires no magic whatsoever. It's just the audience feeling and pretending to be the band up front. But the other, and this is where things are starting to get fun, is it's called ephaptic coupling. We're starting to think it's possible that I can actually send radiant, well, magnetic waves out of my head that are so minute but pick upable by other people that they can actually pick up those waves and use those to start firing their brain simultaneously. So this gets a little more creepy, but it shows you how neuroscience is starting to have to change its paradigm because our old school, the brain is just a bunch of chemicals going do 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 like billiard balls. It's not working anymore. We're finding so much more stuff that we got to say, uh-oh how else might this be happening? And resonance is one of those just crazy, we're not sure yet type things. Yeah. Well, we know it happens, but we're still playing with what's what's the mechanism. I love that. I love it when science fiction becomes science fact. I love that. And, and then and, once and, it and, happens, then all the scientists that. go, oh, look what we invented. And anyone who's read any book is like, yeah, they've been talking about that for a thousand years. Right. You didn't invent like, it. And everybody listening to this has had that moment. Like, mm -hmm. we've all experienced, like... <laughs> One time, I just thought it was the craziest thing, and I know that people are listening. I'll, you know what? No, I don't think it's my question. It. I had when 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 Sadie was a puppy, um, she was laying in bed quietly, and I just remember thinking, "Let's go for a walk." As soon as that thought left my head, she sprang to life and got on my <laughs> chest and started wagging her tail. I'm like, "How did you know?" <laughs> right? And I'm like, "That didn't just happen." There was no other reason. I didn't move. I was just laying there, and I'm like, let's go for a walk. And, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> like when you said these little microscopic things are leaving my head, I, I, I must have been it. Dude, this is – dogs are the, one of the funnier things because that's one of the, the – one of our big question marks are how the heck – we don't see it in cats. How the heck do dogs know so much random stuff that they shouldn't? Like if I, if I'm the cats, the cats, no, they just don't care. They just don't give a crap. They're just, <laughs> they're just wandering <laughs> on it. Who's going to feed me? But it was, it, so I come home from work about the same time every day, right? We, for you. So my dog knows to go run up to the window and sit there for about a half hour until I make it. And one night I just had a night uh, class. So I wasn't going to get home to about nine or 10 at night. And my wife said the dog never went to the window till about nine 30. She crawled out of bed and went and sat by the window and was there about a half hour before I got home. She's like, I had no clue how Ruby knew that that day was going to be different, but she acted differently. And, and it was one of those moments. And we, we have these little stories about dogs doing weird things like that, like somehow knowing something else. Like, oh, yep, owner's not quite – or maybe she could smell me from 10 miles away. I don't know. But there you go. There's, some, there's more to this picture than we're willing to accept at this point. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's funny? We know this too. So if I if you go to uni and I and you join one of my neuroscience classes, what I'll do is I'll teach you this the the party line, 
right? And here's how the brain works, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of each class, what I do is I spend 15, 20 minutes saying, okay, don't worry about tests anymore. Here's all the reasons we know that what I just taught you was wrong. And most teachers won't talk about it. Most professors won't. But in our field, we talk about it because we know, uh-oh, there's all these gaps. So I just try and pass it along to my students to say, don't take everything we're talking about at face value. In five years, we're going to be talking totally differently. And that's, I think that's fun as heck. Yeah, that is. Exciting, kind of scary, but exciting at the same time. Oh, no. I mean, if we're embracing the whole we're all lifelong learners, then saying this is the definitive is kind of at least boring. That is <laughs> saying, yep, that's it. Everyone put your lab coats away. Science right. is done. Right, right, right. Um, so <clears throat> I talked earlier about the fact that, you know, great storytellers and things of this nature, but there's also really great teachers that um, are serious. And I dare say even a little dry, uh, yeah. but, but their message sticks. So I'm going back to the book. <laughs> what? Nice. What what is that? So again, not the not the quintessential edutainer. Yeah, like as we all think of like I'm sure um, Dead Poet Society like made a lot of great teachers great and probably some people unbearable. <laughs> um, so because not everybody's an edutainer and that's fine, that's awesome. So yep. to the more dry, reserved teacher, that's everybody's like you know. Miss some somebody or Mr. Somebody was really great. Not fun, but man, I learned a lot. What is their usual je ne sais quoi? <laughs> oh, so there's two possibilities there. Either A, they know completely how people learn. So they know how to break their dry learning up into segments with enough recall, with enough questions that it just rides the normal learning train. So that's what I've seen. Some of the driest people in the world but some of the most powerful teachers, they're the ones who know every 15 minutes they'll stop and they'll play a little clip or they'll stop and they'll ask a question. Yes. Then they'll rehash yeah. something that they just said earlier. And then they'll start with a review and they'll end with a review. And it's, it's not exciting, but it walks the learning trajectory so perfectly that if you're there, you can't not learn because they keep forcing you to do the stuff that forces you to learn. I think you have so, me in pauses. I, like, <laughs> no, I'm not saying like, because the, the short digestible, I, I, um, I'm trying to think of like, like a, a famous narrator, but there are some people that create tension with their pause. And, and while nice. they may not be exciting, we'll see there. I'm trying to do it. I, I heard it. I was with yeah, It's just palpable. Anyway, because, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like even scanning some of my favorite teachers and some of them were more Robin Williams and some of them were more James Lipton, or I don't know, <laughs> no, not, not not as not as over the top. So, yeah, that that, that seems good to me. So I guess phase yeah, two. Yeah. One of the reasons why Lipton is so good. So he's not not a consummate teacher learner, but my God, is he passionate about what he does? And you can't when you see somebody in their element. Okay, George Will. How about George Will? I'll go for George Will. Which one is he? Oh, I gotta Google this. Oh, yeah. George Will. Uh, he's like um, <clears throat> more from the eighties. Was the Conservatives, conservative was on. How was that show like called Crossfire? Oh my! Anyway, God. like was he the, on Crossfire, like the con, the consummate, really overly the top, like really academic conservative. Uh, but, but he knew like, his stuff. Oh lord, yeah, like you didn't want to debate the guy. Oh, and, 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 it was, and it was like a really like, but the thing like, and this was before the age of really bad political polarization. Like, 
liberals really respected George Will. They just didn't like, you know, everything he had to say. So he was one of those really, yeah, dry. But you listen to him and you're like, dang, that's okay. That's good. Compelling as heck. Yeah. So you can't, that's a, put someone in their element and you can't not be drawn to them. And maybe this is that when I'm talking about magnetic waves emanating from somebody that are registerable by other people, maybe that magnifies when people are doing what they're passionate about. So the driest teacher in the world, driest teacher I ever had was in psychology and the law. But I remember him brilliantly because it was arguably the best class I've ever had because you couldn't not get wrapped up in what he's talking about. It wasn't a story, it wasn't fun, but it was so, and he loved it, he was so passionate about it, that you were there with him every day. And that's what, I I think back to high school, there was a, this is gonna sound bad, but there was, I had a big, big high school, and there was a girl in my high school that, she was just a totally normal woman, of all the girls, she's just, you know, half of the people that you just never see. You just pass them in the hallway and it's just another face. And then one day she was, it was talent show and she went up and played the piano. No one really even knew that she played the piano. And my goodness, while she was playing, every guy in that auditorium fell in love with her. And it was just because she was in her element doing her passion, talking about playing what she loved. And you couldn't help but be tied up in that. So there's, there's got to be something else. That last little je ne sais quoi, even if you're boring, is if you at least feel what you're talking about, yeah. people will come along on that journey with you. Yeah. No, I love that that old saying. People don't care what you know until they know. That pe- ha, people don't know how much you... Ha, I am butchering this. No. <laughs> you fill it in for me. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And yeah, when you care about your subject and you, and you find it sacred, that even if you are a little dry, you can feel that sacredness. That, yeah, and that excitement. That, that's what the, the bad teachers aren't the ones who are dry. They're the ones who are bored. Well, or or feel like it's forced. Yeah, uh, that's the, that's the one thing that that drives me nuts is that. Look, um, I'm gonna dig myself into a grave here. <laughs> but you know, for, 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 there are some people you could just tell that they they're they're done, and they're teaching yeah. it because they have to. And and I think that that's that's tough. Of course, I also know that you know once. You know, once you're a teacher, uh, you know, finding a job uh, in, in the teaching field after you have 10 years experience is really difficult. But, um, yeah, when that drive is gone, uh, it's, it's hard for the kids to pick up on it. And it's hard for if you're not excited, they're not excited. If you, uh, t- I, I tell a story in the book. It's about how you feel it. My dad tells God, for as long as I've known him, he's told a story about how he lost his pocket watch and blew his toe out in a parking lot on the same day. And every time he tells it, he cracks up. I must have heard this story a thousand times. But every time he tells it, I laugh too because he's genuinely cracking up when he's telling it. I don't know why he's not bored of it yet, but he still loves it. So my bless God, I love you, it. you. Bless you for not going, oh, dad, please don't go into that story again. Oh, I do at the beginning, but he starts it and then you just yeah. let it roll. And it's like, yeah. man, that is a story, isn't it? And then, yeah. but then I work with a guy. So I've worked with him for about five years at uni and he tells the same story every lecture. But you can tell he's just owning it in. He doesn't, he's not feeling that story any more than I'm feeling my pants right now. So the kids don't resonate with it. And it's just that really, if you're still enjoying it, so will everyone else. And if you're not, you got to do something to shock it up. You know, one of the best things I heard, and I I adhered to this with my learning, um, it was an old uh, comedian, it was George Carlin. He said, at the end of every year, I scrap everything I did that year and I write from scratch. 
He said, it's the only way I keep from getting bored with comedy is I force myself to get rid of everything and start again. And he says, it's the hardest, scariest thing in the world, but if I don't do it, I get bored. Mm. And so I've learned to do that with my teaching and lecturing because I'm, I, you know, you teach neuroscience every year. I could very easily get into that pattern. Mm-hmm. But if, I, if at the end of beginning of every year, I go, cool, I've got my six, 10 things that I have to teach fine. But what am I going to put around that? What stories am I, am I going to use to illustrate it? What activities am I going to use? What can I bring in to counteract that, to fight against it? What counterclaims? And I try and do something new every year. And that's what kind of keeps me excited and fresh. If, it, if there's a chance I could screw up a lesson, then trust me, my kids are going to be with me because that means I, I'm fully committed to being there, to being on point with them. That's awesome. So uh, we've talked about some differences in teaching styles, um, but what has been kind of a, a universal of great influencers, whether dry or, or histrionic? What has been like, give me a couple traits that's like, it's, it's got to be there. So one, I think you're right, that genuine, they feel their topic. Two, the other big one, going back through my schooling and through all my working with educators and teachers now, is there's a, an unending focus on the student as opposed to the teacher. Like, uh, uh, so on one hand, there's a willingness to change your mind. So all good teachers continue to learn their entire life. They never rest on their laurels. They say, cool. If I'm good today, how can I be better tomorrow? And they just keep changing. But then they focus so much on their kids that the way I always say it is you'll know there's a good teacher when the kids leave that lesson or that year and they don't know what their teacher thinks, likes, or, or really cares about. Because the teacher wasn't there to convince them to think like them. They were just there to challenge the students and get them thinking. So go back to my, my um, psych and the law professor, best example of this. At the end of that whole thing, I came out and I realized I didn't know if he was conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, for psych, against psych, for trials, against trials, for the death penalty, against, because he would just argue against whatever you said. If I brought up a point and I was like, well, what about the Twinkie defense? He would argue against that, whether he agreed with it or not just to get me thinking differently. So there's something about the willingness to put your own passions or thoughts or opinions to the side and work only with the people you're with and push them in different directions. (laughs) So it's not, you're not trying to convince anyone. Right. No. And trying to work with them. Yeah. No, I, 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 I love that. I, I've, in my career, sometimes I'll say things I don't believe just to be on the yeah. contrary, just so a student will, no, you're wrong. Okay, please tell me. Then tell me go. why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uncomfortable sometimes. Because if you're like me, I always have that niggling voice, which is like, no, prove it. You can, you can right. tell this kid how to think. Yeah. But I'm like, no, no, you got to shut that shit down. Well, and <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, that's one thing that I've, you keep hearing these horror stories about... Uh, uh, professors that can really indoctrinate. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Cause we're, again, I was the second time we talked about, it. like we're really in politically polarizing times and boy, I always shudder. Um, you know, and I even see when like people come to guest lecture at universities and they shut them down for thoughts. I'm yeah. Like, Man, that's dangerous stuff because mm-hmm. uh, universities and professors should always be challenging the way you think, not group think. So I love that. Should love be, that should be that. There was a time when that was 
their only purpose. And that was the purpose of university was to yeah. for you to think differently. Yep. And, and to be honest, I think the, the three or four university professors I had that I would still remember to this day, they were the ones that were still doing that. The professors I couldn't yeah. tell you, I couldn't pick out of a lineup were the ones who had started either training you for a job or thinking they needed to turn you into a neuroscientist. Here's the party line, do this and this only. Believe only in this philosophy. It's like, no, can't do it. Sorry about that. You know, oh, but sometimes when it pisses you, I remember, oh, that brought up a, my very first, so freshman year, USC, my very first class, the professor, somebody had, it, it had happened in the news where a woman, this is going to be horrible, so bear with me, bad story coming, but a woman was in line at a supermarket and saw a pregnant woman. And she went up and stabbed the pregnant woman. And, she, and I don't think she died, but everyone said, why did she do that? And it turned out because she had been trying to get pregnant herself for years, wasn't able to do it, saw this pregnant woman, and in a fit of jealousy went and attacked the pregnant woman. Cool. Oh, no, she did die because then we had a debate in class, does she deserve to go to jail? To which case I was like, of, of course she does. She killed somebody. But the professor then said, well how do we take into account this fact that maybe it's not her fault, maybe because of her chemicals and her inability to have a child. And I remember getting so riled up and so angry, like, like explosively angry in that class, yelling at everyone who would accept that point of view. And at the end, the professor pulls me over and goes, you know, I agree with you, but that's not why we're here. <laughs> we're not here to just find the answer. We're here to think weirdly. So next time, instead of yelling, why not try and pretend you accept each other and see what comes out of it? And then go back to what you were thinking before. I'm like, damn, that is good. So you can, you can take it so far that it makes people mad, but that's kind of half of the learning, you know? See, I like the anger. Oh, I, 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 I like the anger. I'd be like, you know, as long as you're not insulting others, but <clears throat> I like the passion. So. <laughs> there was passion. I was wondering. I'm like, you, are you guys insane in this room? Are you, are you hearing what I'm hearing? <laughs> mentally accept that for even a second that argument oh no it's okay it's not her fault get out of here <laughs> yeah yeah I, I like being older now i rarely get that angry about anything i lost it too uh so <laughs> gonna gonna one last thing we before we we're on air uh you had mentioned some uh you had learned uh many things from from a guy i know my daughter really respects uh norman Deutsch. uh yeah. is there a little side story behind that yeah, let me give you, I think this is actually good too for all Gen Zers, for the few who might be listening to this. If not, you know, bear with me. But this was back before I started the brain science. So I was just back teaching and I read Norman Doidge's The Brain That Changes Itself. And that's the book that got me interested in neuroscience, which is hilarious. So you, you probably know this in your own careers, but anytime you read a pop book, about your field before you're in that field it's incredible but as soon as you learn that field and start working in it you go back to the pop books and they suck you're like oh my gosh this is such lies and that's true in neuroscience too with every book except for this one it's been 15 years i go back i read it now and i still it still holds water like it's one of those pop science books that didn't lie or get it wrong. It was just so good. And in one of the chapters in his book, he's talking about brain stimulation with a doctor at Harvard Medical School. Now, at the time, I didn't know, or I, I guess I still don't, that I should have been nervous 
that it was a big professor. And so I just ended up calling that professor from the book. And I just called him out of the blue and said, hey, I really like this brain stimulation stuff. Can you tell me more about it? Two years later, I was at Harvard and Harvard Medical School working with them doing brain stimulation. So it was one of those just yeah. <laughs> moments where maybe it was where stupidity taught me something, where it was sheer lack of understanding of the etiquette of the field opened a door for me. And that's kind of, if you take a message away from that, what I learned from that is the only limits there are, are the ones we put on to kind yeah. of play the game and screw them. They don't exist. Yeah. If you want to work with somebody, call them. Yep. Somebody, if you read a book that you like, I do this to this day. I'll read a, a science fiction book I like. I'll send an email to the author. Two hours later, I'll get an email back. Just talk to the people you like. Absolutely. Well, They're in, human beings. In my class, we call that arrogance of belief. I, I, arrogance. Like, I, arrogance of belief. Well, of course you should want to talk to me. These are my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, no, sir. I've got four or five students that have just that. They'll reach out to anybody and they fully expect for them to get back because I'm awesome. And have they, have they ever failed? Of course. Oh, they but, do. But, oh, no. But, 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 but I mean, but that doesn't stop them from contacting. They actually, and I've said this story on the podcast too many times, but I'll tell it to you anyway. It was one of the reasons why we started the podcast. There's like people that we admire in class is a little different than, you know, we're not going to be calling Ariana Grande anytime soon. And I'm impressed I even know that name. <laughs> I couldn't name you one of her songs, but I can, I know that she's a thing, right? She's a, she's a name, right? But like we were reaching out to Peter D. Mendez or people like that. And so one day we had Tim Ferriss for like an hour and a half. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the thing is he wasn't responding to us. Here's how we got to him. They're like I, we were kind of bummed like we really wanted to talk to them and so finally a couple of our girls like oh we got an idea and i'm like what they're like just take a picture of us and there's four girls and they had like their hands cr clasped in like a prayer position with this really sad mopey lips out <laughs> and then so they said okay caption it this way hey at tim ferris we're so, you know you're disappointing my students why won't you and, call us and it worked <laughs> no crap absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. Think outside the box. Absolutely. If you can't get to them through right. the front door, find a back door. Yep. And, and the same thing this year. And the, the students thought I was really cool. At the beginning of the school year, I was like, hey, and like showing them the power of reaching out to people. I'm like, yeah, yeah. who is a person you would dig just like right now to talk to? And of course, we're talking early 2000, and like actually late in 2018. They're like, oh, Ninja. I'm like, okay. I'm not sure if you know who that is. Oh, no. okay. So he's he a like American Ninja Warrior. No, no, he's a he's a guy that makes about a million dollars a month, literally playing Fortnite. And uh, oh, we throw it out there, and we're like, "Hey, we ask him a question. Would you please get back with us?" He sees a room full of kids, and he's like, "Okay." And they're like, I mean, "No way!" So that arrogance of belief of like, well, of course he should respond back. We're eager students, so I, lo I I love that that you know I dig your book, man, and then you know. A little while later, you're 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 chilling with him, doing some experiments. So that you know, what's funny. My brother, he's he's 42. He's never accepted any of this. Like I, I just am always the the mover and shaker. He was the no. I just get my job. I do it. And then what? He just read Seth Godin. Um, this is marketing, I think. And it was the first time my brother called me. He's like, I'd really like to talk to him. Could you reach out to him and see if you can talk to him? I'm like. Dude, dude, just send him an email. If you really like it, send him an email. Took a couple months, got him around to it. He finally sends an email. I'm, no doubt the next day there's an email from I was Seth say, Yeah, I was just writing say, it right Seth, back to him. Seth takes about 30 minutes. It's amazing. 
Yeah. It's it's phenomenal. And my brother's like, wow, that really worked. I'm like, yes, the world. <laughs> Look, I didn't write this book because I want to sit on my duff the rest of my life thinking about it. I wrote this book because I want to talk about it with people. Right. I want to. <laughs> so if you come and you and ask me, hey, I really like your book. I have a question. That's right. why I did this in the first place. Well, and and the people we're talking about the, that are passionate about, quite frankly, teaching their wares, like. You know, if your brother were like, man, I really want to get into uh, <laughs> what was the Ariana Grande's lyrics, <laughs> and you reach out to her. By the way, apologies, Ariana Grande. I don't know why. I really can't name you a song she sings, but I'm I'm sure she's fantastic. But I'm going no, on I the mean, Google box, Ariana Grande. <laughs> her she, well, I'll tell you what. She apologizes for attacking her fans on her blog. Okay. Well, don't know a song yet, but apparently she likes Twitter and blogs. Well good for her but no i mean like pe- those kind of people yeah they're not gonna get back to you but people that are like writing books and they want you to learn I'm, yeah absolutely they want to they want to hear from you so they're teachers they're trying yeah, to teach yeah. and if you're a, a willing student just like every teacher oh that gets us out of bed in the morning just like every teacher which is why stop talking start influencing which used to be called stop talking start teaching 12 insights from brain science to make see what I did there 12 insights from it. brain science to make your message stick is by our author, Dr. Jared Cooney Horvath. Jared, I sincerely appreciate, you know, I, I saw the uh, initials at the end of your name and I'm like, okay, let's see how this, all, because a lot of my <laughs> podcasts are exactly like this. Very conversational, very fun, very free flowing. I'm like, all right, got a PhD guy. Then, okay, let's see what goes on here. Uh-oh. And uh, instead. We had a good one. I, this is my fun. favorite podcast yet. There Just talking is where it's at. It really is. It really I is. Love. Thank yeah. you for letting me be a part of this. I hope the audience got a, an idea or two from something we, we jibber-jabbed about. There it is. So, guys, seriously, obviously, this, is, this isn't stuffy. This is brain science meets teacher meets fun guy. And, and that isn't to say a mushroom. Dad joke. Sorry. Um, <laughs> at any rate, he is Jared Cooney Horvath. He is from Melbourne, Australia. You can find the book on Amazon. I recommend you get it. And, uh, and obviously, he'll get back with you. We just talked about reaching out to authors. Daggone it. Drop me a line. I love it. Can I, can I leave your viewers with a little, a little something fun? Please. Ariana Grande's Oh my God. <laughs> Bang Bang from My Everything 2014 album was her number one hit. So bang, bang. Go look it up. (laughs) Oh, so the name is Bang Bang My Everything or My Everything was the album? I think My Everything is the album. Bang Bang is the song. That's sad. So there we go. Now we know. If anyone ever asks, Bang Bang. There it is. Oh, jeez. I'm going to get some emails saying, yeah, watch. Somebody will send me a digital download of, of, of like I get the weirdest emails. I love <laughs> I love it, but I get the weirdest yeah. So unpredictable. All right, I, we get I that. You guarantee you I I'm guaranteeing you somebody will <laughs> do something with Ariana Grande this episode. All right. Well uh, apologies to Ariana Grande and again Jared, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it, bud. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>